This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. My name is Chris Wilterdink. I'm the director of Young People's Ministries, which is a part of Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. And uh, I am fortunate enough to be again hanging out for our Youth Worker Recharge, co-hosted by Jeremy Steele, who is uh, an elder and is serving Los Altos United Methodist Church out in California. And uh, today I'm super excited that we've got a, a guest to join us as well. Melissa Collier-Gepford, who is the Internet Intergenerational Discipleship Coordinator in the Great Plains Annual yeah. Conference. Yeah, she uh, she is a deacon, and um, the Great Plains Annual Conference is Nebraska and Kansas. So you are coming to us from the heartland of the United States. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, we uh, we joined conferences. We were three conferences um, in the you know up until the early two thousands, early twenty tens, and combined. Kansas East, Kansas West, and Nebraska into the Great Plains. And um, so here we are. We've learned a lot. It's been a process. And I know other conferences Mm -hmm. are doing the same. So uh, before we, yeah, before we jump into the uh, crash courses on youth ministry and specifically recruiting volunteers today, um, since we have you, I did want to ask about your experience with that because, uh, you know, we're recording this in the fall of 2021. And there are several annual conferences that are in the process of like officially merging and starting mm-hmm. to share bishops and figuring out what new districts and new structures look like. And yeah. Great Plains combining the Nebraska, Kansas West, and Kansas East conferences um, really was on the front end of some of that merger stuff. So sure. in terms of youth and young adults and how to resource and support those ministries, is there anything that you all learned in the process that would be helpful for other folks to know? Oh, yeah, we, we've learned a lot. Now, I will say, so I'm originally from the Texas Annual Conference, and I didn't join Great Plains Um, until the first year that they had already combined. And so I didn't really know much about like previous histories. I didn't even really, like I joined the Great Plains Conference and it was my first year. So it was their first year to be. So I got to see some, some of the like, I was in Western Kansas. So that would have been Kansas West at the time. So there were some interesting cultural things there. And then my husband's an elder. So then he was appointed to a church in former Kansas East and so that's when I started the, the the ordination process and things were different there too. And then we moved to Nebraska after that, actually. So I've experienced all three former conferences and even eight or nine years later, I, I will say that there's still, um, there's still some three distinct cultures. And so it's been interesting to join conference staff and learn about the youth cultures in each of the former conferences. They're very distinct and um, they had different processes and CCYM played a different role in each of those conferences. And so it's really interesting to see how like, how with the combining, there was this um, beautiful attempt to like hold on to cultural and context stuff while also creating one culture. And with that, there's, there's a lot of beautiful things that came out, but also a lot of grief. And so I think it's really important if I could pass on any wisdom, it's important to name that grief and to allow the process of that grief to actually happen instead of saying, you know, we're going to just move on to this next thing. And so one thing, um, when I joined conference staff, what happened was there was a, um, a shift in like my role. Hmm. 
Previously, there was a conference level youth ministry person full time. And now I'm a full time intergenerational. So there was nothing for kids. And now there is. So I get to do kids ministry, youth ministry, and work with young adult ministries at the conference level and just basically discipleship from cradle to grave. So it's a different focus and it's a different like division of labor and time. So youth ministry has had to evolve since then. And so one thing that we really, what we really did is, you know, I, I'm one person and I'm doing kids and youth and discipleship. I can't be at all of these different events in all of these different locations in two states. And so we divided our conference into um, unofficial regions. So we clustered some districts together and um, we've kind of decentralized youth and kids ministry when it comes to connecting and training. And so we've identified regional coordinators and content specialists to come alongside me and be that team of resources and connectors. We just got that rolling and it's, it's been really helpful. So if there are any, if there's anybody out there that's, you know, thinking about what's a, what's a good strategy for combining, I'd love, I'd, I'd be happy to talk more about what that looks like for us. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I think that bringing more leaders into, into the team is almost always a, a good call. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing that our conference has been so focused on the last few years has been asset based community development um, mm-hmm. and leaning into the gifts and assets and resources that we have within our own conference. And so instead of like bringing speakers from outside, we're focused on naming those people within our own conference and really yeah. give the tools and empowering them to do the work. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that, that really is awesome. And honestly honors them in some way as well. Um, And and that actually might end up being a great transition point into our conversation today related to uh, keeping volunteers. Um, This this course of conversation is uh, related to the eBooks that just came out from our office called the Crash Courses in Youth Ministry. Uh, We spent the last two weeks talking about recruiting volunteers because you just you always have to do it. There is no way around it. Um, you need help. You need support. You can't do everything by yourself. Um, and now we're talking about uh, being able to try to keep those volunteers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's the key, right? The, the, the more volunteers that you can, um, you can equip and feel like they're doing great and they want to stick around, the less volunteers you have to recruit. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that part of part of that retaining volunteers, it, it basically means you have to recruit um, less frequently and less heavily, right? If you are, if you have a um, a uh, a solid volunteer uh, group that you have sort of poured into and feel fulfilled by what they're doing, uh, that's 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 just as that will make just a big of impact in your needs to recruit as getting better at recruiting volunteers. Right. Yeah. That's so good. And I think part of like retaining the volunteers, it actually plays into recruitment. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, like others see when you're recruiting new folks, others see, Oh wait, they're committed to this. This is something that, you know, um, that, that they're, they feel empowered to do and equipped to do. Maybe I could do that too. And so I think it mm-hmm. actually causes that loop as well. 
And, yeah. and other people don't, uh, <laughs> they recognize that you're not killing volunteers, right? Like they, right. they see that like, you're not burning them out. Right. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And that's going to do you a big favor in terms of your retention as well, because then those volunteers who end up being longer term can sort of help be recruiters for you and take some of that off yeah. your own plate. Um, yes. and at the same time, like it, there, there are going to be transition moments too, where somebody says, right. uh, I I've got to be done. Right. Like I just, mm-hmm. life has changed. My job has changed. Uh, I'm not feeling like I used to. So uh, one of my questions might be, you know, in terms of keeping volunteers, how do you respond? And Melissa, I, I think I'll start with you. Like if I was a volunteer, uh, either in your conference role or, or at a local church and I came to you and just said, you know, I, I've had a great run, but I'm done. How would you respond? I think first of all, just expressing gratitude for, for their ministry and their time is super important. And, um, you know, really making a big deal about, um, about their time and also reassuring them that it's okay. Right. So I feel like when, when volunteers have, have come to me and said, you know, I, I I just can't, I don't have the bandwidth right now, or I can't do this anymore. I need to move on to something else it's almost like they come to me apologetic and like, like timid, you know, and um, you know, just to, to just release that tension and say, look, like I get it. Like, it's great. Thank you so much for all that you've done. And then moving into a time of questioning, like, is there something that we could have done differently? Um, Do you, do you have ideas for, you know, for your position and then, you know, for the next person, how could we do this better? What was, what was good? What wasn't, um, it is super important because, you know, if they've been serving for a long time, they're seeing it from a, a certain perspective that you may not be able to see. So they've got some great wisdom there that you can mine. Yeah. And I think for me, the, the, the first thing that I generally am thinking is how am I feeling about this volunteer? Hmm. Right. So sometimes when somebody comes to me and says they're done, I'm relieved, right? I was trying to find a way to move them into something else, right? And it's and and they felt like it wasn't a good fit, yeah. just like I have, and they've recognized that, and that that helps it. But then sometimes you have somebody who shows up and says, "I'm done," and you're like, "Oh my gosh, what the heck? This is the best, right person." Yeah. Um, and for those people, um, what I do is I talk to them. I, I get a little bit more conversation about what they mean by I'm done, right? Are they not enjoying ministry anymore? Are they like, are they burned out? Is their life changed? Do they just have a season ahead? Like their daughter is getting married and all these things. And um, because what I'm, what I'm trying to discern is, can I actually ask them to just take a break? Right. And so what I'll do is I'll say, I get it what if you, what if we just take a break and would you mind if I called you up in six months or a year to touch base and see if you might be ready to, to do something again? Um, because a lot of times there are, that's really what they need, right? They, they loved it and they will leave and they will fill their life with other things, of course, but they, they are actually open to, to doing it in another season, right? A little bit later and um, asking people uh, using that term of like taking a break from it um, sort of leaves the door open. Uh, it leaves the door open for that. And then the other thing that I, 
especially if they were a really good volunteer is I like to ask them for a list of names of people that they would say they know these people would do a good job or think they might do a good job or enjoy whatever it was, the task that this volunteer was doing. And then I actually call those people and say, Hey, Susan mentioned that you might do this. She said that she's had a great time doing it and it's time for her to take a break right now. And, um, and it can help with that recruiting. And and I think when you're hosting a, a healthy conversation like that to the person who you do call, um, is probably going to touch base with Susan again then too, yep. right? And really get the lowdown on what that volunteer role was all about. And so for me, it, it kind of feeds this circle of uh, transparency and honesty and openness that I think we've talked about mm-hmm. through that um, through that process of, you know, whether you're excited the person is uh, done with their volunteer role or taking a break or any of those kind of things. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear yeah. really from everybody that, that the relationship is such a central thing, that, that a big part of retaining and keeping volunteers is, you know, remembering that your youth ministry is about not only the youth, but also those who are living with those youth and serving those youth. And so things that you can do to keep those relationships going with uh, your volunteers are really important and allow those healthy kind of exit conversations to happen. And Chris, I think it's really important. Um, I appreciated what you said, Jeremy, about, you know, really digging deeper and asking like, what was going on here? Um, Because if it is something like burnout or, you know, a difficult season, that's an opportunity to provide care to that person Mm -hmm. as well, which um, is what we're called to do as the body of Christ as well, is to support and lift each other up. So developing those relationships and really caring for one another it is the call and also, and also it's not the central point, but it also then feeds into this idea that they might be able to come back. And so it is an effective way to, to keep them um, kind of in your purview and your sphere of influence if you care for them. Right. And, you know, one of the things that also kind of one step back from, you know, hopefully helping them not get to that place um, is uh, to continually train and equip those volunteers. So, you know, most churches require some sort of safe sanctuaries or health and safety kind of training for their volunteers. But sometimes that's all the training we give them, except for (laughs) random tips and tricks. Right. Um, One of the things that in my past was most effective was we had a quarterly breakfast training and it was, uh, you know, before everything happened at church and it was just a, you know, it was like 30 minutes and it was, it was all kinds of different things. So how to lead a discussion with teenagers dealing with drama, uh, you know, we had, all kinds of training. And, uh, and we, what we did was we had like four or five of those a year. And then we asked our volunteers as part of their commitment to come to two of them a year. And, um, and every time we did those, the volunteers that were able to make it, it they felt so good, right? Mm-hmm. They felt like they were being resourced. And, you know, when you throw them into a group of teenagers and say, okay, here's five discussion questions. They weren't just like 
deer in the headlights. They knew that there was support and help. And every time we did some training, it helped, it got better. Right. Um, and, uh, and so doing the, that sort of ongoing training is really, really important. And it's so much more accessible to do now, right? We're all comfortable with zoom. So it's not yeah. even you have to host this huge event. Like you can do what we're doing right now and offer quarterly training opportunities for, um, your volunteers and for the ones that can't make it, you can record it and they can have access to that and then access to you to ask questions, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that you could do that. I think building community is super important. So, um, you know, creating a hybrid op- option is, is good, but it's so much easier now to to just say like, hey, let's hop on Zoom real quick or watch this video. Um, you know, it, it's it's really quite simple. I think the other really beneficial part of those kind of quarterly opportunities, you know, not only is it the training, right? We should look at like what the needs are in our community and and then offer trainings to be able to meet those, right? Like uh, living in Colorado, uh, you know, there is a, a huge uh, mental health and suicide um, issue that really is affecting a lot of local communities right now. And so if I was offering a local training, I would look at that and say, oh my gosh, we have to do this this next quarter because this is in students' faces and those kind of things. Yeah. So your volunteers are relying on you to kind of be a part of taking that pulse of the youth community in your area. Yeah. Um, and honestly, a, another side benefit of those quarterly trainings is the opportunities for volunteers to actually interact with each other. Uh, because Great. I don't know about y'all, but like the experiences I had when, um, you know, I'm the youth minister at the local church, I'm, I'm getting everything rolling and set up. And then we, we would split, right? Like, okay, volunteers, you got this group, you got this group. And the volunteers never get time to build community with each other. And so yeah. that's another one that's in great. terms of keeping volunteers those relationships that, that, you know, the volunteer team can support each other through and, and create mm-hmm. by having some interaction time can also be pretty huge. Yeah. yeah. And when I'm recruiting, I know y'all we're, we're talking recruiting. Y'all think y'all have already done that, but when, when I'm recruiting volunteers, I always say to them, I'm going to make sure you know what, what you're doing, right. I'm going to make sure that um, you feel equipped uh, so that you can succeed um, and that's part of that training piece is the ongoing resourcing and doing whatever you can to make sure that your volunteers who are doing this out of the goodness of their heart and love for children and youth um, know exactly what they're going to do and feel comfortable to do that um, so that they can feel like they succeed, they can succeed. And when they have that dopamine hit, right, <laughs> they want to keep doing it because it feels right. good. That's right. And, and it's an opportunity, too, for you to be able to showcase volunteers doing what they do best, right? Like if, if you've got a volunteer who's particularly gifted at leading conversations and pulling comments out of those really quiet students, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving them a little bit of that floor time during a training can also be pretty huge. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Jeremy, thank you for bringing up the opportunity to do training in addition to abuse prevention and risk reduction. Like that safe sanctuaries training is an absolute minimum, you know, and and that's an annual thing that really has to get done. But if that is the only training opportunity and only networking and support opportunity that we give to volunteers, we're, we're really shorting them in a pretty significant way. Yeah. I I mean, I would hope so. Like we, in great plans, we do safe gatherings Um, and that's mandated across for all churches I, I would hope that a local church has more policies and procedures than just that. So even at the bare minimum, right? Like, 
here's, here's what time we meet. <laughs> here's where you go, right? Like here's, here's how to, here's what not to do. Here's our checkout and check-in policy. Uh, you know, we, we start at this time. I would like you to be there 15 minutes early. Those types of things have got to be communicated on a regular basis or there's chaos at, right. at the very least confusion. Yeah. And really frustrating for volunteers, right? Yeah. Because they don't know what's expected and they feel like they can't meet those expectations when they don't know them. Right. 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 Um, and uh, yeah. And so next week, I think we're heading into the sort of encouragement, right? How do we really support them? This community that we've been talking about forming um, is really important. And, and, and part of that is making sure that they feel really appreciated. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about, about diving into that next week. Yeah. I am too. And, and that really, um, I, I would encourage as many people as possible, obviously to listen next week, because the, the pieces that we're talking about really apply to churches of all sizes. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I definitely want to dispel the myth, you know, that like, just if you're at a smaller church, you don't have volunteer problems because because you do. Uh, if you're at a larger church, you still have volunteer issues. They just might look a little bit different. Uh, but really, they do come back to relationship and support. And Melissa, like you were saying, being able to kind of set the table with clear expectations um, of what meaningful service looks like. You know, if if I'm going to ask you to give your time and your energy, you are helping create value in the youth ministry at our church. And here's why that's really important in terms of the way discipleship looks like right. for our congregation. Um, so churches of any size. Yeah. When we start to talk about those um, effective ways to show support for volunteers and um, really great ways to do training next week, I hope people can tune back in. Uh, Melissa, before we're uh, done for the day, I would love to have you share a little bit about the caring congregation as well, because I know that that is uh, a podcast that you help to, to host and organize and you guys have tackled some really awesome topics across the spectrum as well. Yeah. So the Caring Congregation is an LLC created by Reverend Karen Lampy, who comes out of Church of the Resurrection. She's the one that established the congregational care ministry model um, where you identify and raise up laity volunteers to, um, to, to give care, provide care on behalf of the church. And um, Karen uh, I learned from Karen and implemented this ministry in a smaller church and, and have implemented this type of structure in small to mid-sized churches. So she invited me actually to co-write a book with her that uh, two books re released in May of last year, the Caring Congregation Implementation Guide and uh, the Care Minister's Manual. And from there, things just started to develop. So um, so I, I helped kind of establish, here's how you tailor this to fit your size of church. Here are the steps to establish this ministry and how to train and recruit and, and retain your volunteers to do that. And um, we also are a team of consultants that go into districts, conferences, local churches and provide seminars and training on this course mm -hmm. uh, on this uh, model. And if you go to the caringcongregation.com, you can find some webinars and some virtual courses as well and our podcast. So um, we found that we, as we were meeting, we were just having these rich conversations on Zoom and we were like, we have got to record these. So we started a podcast and we've talked about theology of care, telling stories, 
And our current season is about caring for kids and youth. So um, some, some great interviews are coming out of that. And Chris, you got to be one of those interviews. So I appreciate your time. I did. And we could have talked forever, I think. I know. Um, you still we, need to record one for young adults. <laughs> we did kind of go all over the place. But I, I do find that uh, the conversations we had as part of that Caring Conversation podcast or uh, Congregations podcast um, were really helpful, particularly because, you know, from my position, I'm seeing a lot more um, senior pastors and associate pastors leading a lifetime of discipleship or, or needing mm-hmm. to care for a much broader age range of yeah. people um, than perhaps in the past, right? Where there was right. a children's person, a youth person, maybe a young right. adult person. And, and you mentioned cradle to grave earlier. Um, and that's really um, the pattern that we're seeing across the board, no matter what the title is for the person. Right. Around, it could be discipleship. It could be faith formation. It could be any number of things, but it's these really, really big umbrellas. So right. I, I would encourage people to check out that um, Caring Congregation website and the resources that you all um, are creating as well. I appreciate that. Thanks.